You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Oh no! We suck again! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, I just finished recording my companion podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, where I talk about all things Florida Gators, and I just spent 55 minutes in a very, very good mood. Life is good. I take off my Gator helmet, put on my Giant helmet, and all that goodwill is gone. So you're going to get a very annoyed Cranky Fan tonight. I think you're going to get a less annoyed grump today um and i'll go through all the reasons why but first i think you guys should just follow us on twitter (laughs) i'm (laughs) at football underscore grump where i i live tweeted the game my frustrations were out there and that's that's kind of why i'm a little bit more calm now um and i'll get into more detailed reasons but don't mistake that for lack of frustration. It's all on full display for the rest of eternity on Twitter where the internet things just <laughs> don't die there. So, <laughs> I am going to preface this show by saying I was flying home from Hawaii on Sunday. I have to give a major fart to Delta Airlines and the GoGo Wi-Fi um, service. Love you, Delta. I'm a million miler. I'm a diamond medallion, but... You got to get the high speed Wi-Fi on these cross country flights. I mean, I'm trying to watch the game on um, Sunday Ticket app, and every 90 seconds to two minutes, losing, not even just losing service, losing connectivity when you're trying to watch a football game is unacceptable in 2018. I mean, I'm not trying to dial in on America Online. I'm not trying to go through Prodigy. I'm not trying to find out the score via Telegraph. I mean, let's get with the program, please. So that pissed me off. But also, you know, my analysis of the game may not be as fluid as normal because I had a deal with Wi-Fi in and out. I watched the second half in the cab from Kennedy back home. So bear with me a little bit. If, you know, Grump obviously has the upper hand on everything than I do. I'm just going to react and I'm just going to be pissed off. Uh, Grump has the upper hand on everything. Oh, that's right. You and me. So, um, <laughs> and as always, you can catch our show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Every previous episode, uh, there is no preview episode for this for uh, for this game, simply because of the holiday weekend was just very very difficult to get shit together. Um, and as <laughs> Giants fans, I'm sure this year you are very much familiar with not getting shit together. <laughs> Let me tell you one thing, Grump, before we get started. Your segue game today is on. <laughs> I'm going to give a star to the Grump for these smooth transitions and conversions. So nice nice work by you, buddy. Thanks. Um, it's all in a week's prep work, you know. Nice job. Um, the Giants fell to the Eagles 25-22. to uh, After a commanding first half, uh, things sort of fell apart at the very end of the first half, and spiraled out of control for the Giants throughout the second half to the point where uh, I think a score in the last maybe minute or so uh, put the Eagles ahead. Maybe it was a little bit more than a minute, but not much. No, I was down about 26 seconds, 25. Yeah. 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 So 
Um, obviously frustrating. It's kind of been the story the last, you know, what, 12 months for this team, maybe a little bit more. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of focus on, well, why don't, why don't you go ahead? Why don't you just let out your frustrations and I can, you know, I can go back at you one by one or I can kind of take them after you let it all loose. Yeah. I think for me, the frustration, and I'm not one of these people I've been pretty adamant all week. I don't want to hear any talk about playoffs or any, well, if we're only three back and if this happens and that happens, this is not a playoff team. This team sucks. We know that coming in. So if anything, it's a little bit of relief. I don't have to hear delusional giant fan out there telling me, well, if Washington loses these two games and all of a sudden we do this, that, and the other. So that's over with. So that's one of the reliefs I have is that we have an honest assessment of what we are. A a bad football team, not one of the worst three or four football teams in the league, but a bad football team. So let's put that out of the way. What annoyed me about this game is that you want to just see progression. You want to see a coaching staff that is understanding what the strengths and weaknesses are of the team. You want to see adjustments. You want to see progression by you know, your different skill positions, your different units. And I just feel there's a, a major disconnect for this team. You know, we've said this time and time again on this show. We've had head-scratching decisions by Pat Shermer and this coaching staff. Play calling, scheme, decision-making. And all of it kind of reared its ugly head again today, uh, or yesterday, rather. Uh, you know, the obvious talking point in the last 24 hours has been how come Saquon Barkley, after dominating early, had five touches the entire second half. Uh, we joked after the Atlanta game saying, is Pat Shermer deliberately throwing games for draft status? Um, I still think that's silly and that's not the case, but I would like a reason why, you know, the, the best player on this team right now, and I don't think it's even close, not only is he not even featured, just becomes a distant memory in the second half. It makes no sense. Uh, you know, guys like Odell Beckham going to catch shit for saying things like, I don't call the plays, but I can you can definitely sense their frustration. He wasn't pissed because he wasn't getting the ball. He's pissed that the best playmakers aren't getting the ball. And yeah, part of that was because he felt like, you know, the secondary was banged up and awful for Philly and he wasn't getting as many targets. But it was just a, a blanket statement of, you know, what works, get the ball to your best guys, and it's not happening. Uh, we have enough now in this season where, what are we, in week 12? So we are almost three quarters of the season done that we can start making real assessments of Pat Shermer. And I am not impressed. I mean, from again, from play calling, decision making, using timeouts. We'll talk about the Eli timeout later. I think that was an Eli thing more than a Shermer thing. But this is not a coach that's going to lead this team into the 21st century. This is not a coach where, you know, he's going to build something out of nothing and build it in his vision and all of a sudden become a powerhouse. Possible. I mean, if we get this incredible amount of talent upgrade in the next couple of years, but I just see just this, a, 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 a fill-in-the-gap in the coach right now that's buying time. 
and I'm just I'm you know this rebuild is going to take a lot, and I don't think this coaching staff or specifically this head coach is the guy who's going to do it. I think that that's a, those are all really common and justified stances. Um, and I will I'll I'll even add to some of it. I thought that going for two on the first touchdown was silly. Uh, I I look in all aspects of life. I am a person who is backed up by scientific fact, math, provable provable quantities where they can be applied. Um, some people who are probably smarter than me think that the math is in the favor of going for two, especially when there's a penalty and then you're coming from the one, and that's fine. I, I I cannot tell you that I'm a mathematician or an expert, but what I can say is that that math is based on generalities, and it's not based on the team. And this team stinks specifically on offense, um, and in, in the short yards, in short <laughs> yardage, and in the red zone. So in those cases, you know what? This year, let's not do that, okay? Um, especially in a situation where it's the first drive of the game. So. Rump, rump. You're absolutely I, – I mean, I hate to jump in real quick, but it's like the same thing about betting and like, well, you know, the Cowboys are 17-4 and four against the spread on Monday night. That doesn't mean anything about what's happening next. Right. Those are just generalities that are just say that, you know, going a third down percentage is 37%, whether it's third and one or third and 46. It's, you know, it, it – I get that there's a chart for things like that, but when your team stinks, the chart's not going to skew in your favor. So go ahead and keep going. Um, look, and I, and I get it. Um, we're we're going to spend probably a little bit of time. It, well, you know what? I guess I'll address the uh, the timeout too. I think was also an Eli thing more than a Pat Shermer thing. And I, I've been hammering away at this since the beginning of the season, and only now. Uh, or I should say only in the last two weeks since the Giants offense finally appears to have clicked. I mean, the eye test clicked. Have people been saying like, oh, it looks like they're finally comfortable in the system. Yeah, no shit. I've been saying that all along. It's going to take time. Eli has had essentially two offensive coordinators in his whole career. Um, He even got a freebie year with Ben McAdoo where he was still under Tom Coughlin and... We could tell that that was not 100% the Ben McAdoo offense now in retrospect based on the huge difference between the 2015 offense and the 2016-17 offense. So here he is learning an entirely new system. Yes, there are going to be stupid plays where he doesn't see a guy running free downfield or you know, he keys in on Barkley and doesn't see Ellison wide open in the end zone or yeah, he lost track of the play clock probably and didn't realize on third and 18 using a timeout, not the smartest move. Yes, I think that was more Eli than Shermer. It's also 32 other quarterbacks that do the exact – if you want to break oh down the God. film of every quarterback in the league, they do the same thing, whether they're a rookie or they are Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady misses throws. Um, you know, it happens. So – I, to nitpick play-by-play, play, finding one guy who's wide open in the end zone, and I understand that this is a consistent theme where they're find, fans are finding one or two plays per game, and yeah, maybe that's a bit excessive, but again, brand new system this year. Um, a, a quarterback also, who wasn't, also, who isn't Tom Brady and never was. Right, and also don't look at just one snapshot, one still image. See, the guy's open right here. You know, <laughs> 
where what point is the play what point is everything is is eli rolling to his right and there's a guy way across to the left i mean put things in context before you start seeing stuff i would be remiss without saying the refereeing in this game was abysmal yeah i mean it's just a league-wide problem yeah you have these, these I, old guys are just the, the game is getting too fast and it's getting too complicated for this current crop of officials I, I'm just going to say that, you know, it was bad, particularly in this game. I, you know, we've seen it all year, like you said. Um, Giants fans, you you are by all means allowed to bitch about two no-call no defensive pass interferences in the red zone, both of which probably were touchdowns for the Giants that ended in field goals. You know, the, uh, about as clear a day a trip as you can ask for in the last play of the game which would arguably put Algecrosis at the very edge of his field goal range. You know, a a potential game tire there. Sure, you can bitch about it, but I'm just going to say that A, the refereeing was bad for both teams. It really yeah. was. And B, my motto is always to win your games about one score more than referees can take away from you because it's going to happen. It's part of the human element of the game, and it's bullshit, and you can bitch and moan about it, but ultimately, you need, as a team, to win games more than one call can take away from you. But what if you don't? But what if you don't? (laughs) I mean, if you you don't, then you can bitch and moan, but but the reality is, the only thing that's going to happen when referees screw up a crucial call, you have two scenarios. The league either issues a statement apologizing, says, sorry, you should have won. Tough luck, or or two, the league finds a bullshit way to justify a bullshit call, and that's that's it. It's one of two things. Neither are gonna make you happy. So as a team, you just have to be prepared. And as fans, that's tough to deal with because it's outside the realm of your control. But guess what? So is the whole fucking game. Well, the only thing I'll say to add to that is, you can be justified in complaining about bad calls, but stop with the. The league is against the Giants. Oh, and the yeah, league wants stupid. the Giants. That is stupid. It is Madison Avenue, the TV executives, and the NFL's wet dream to have the Giants successful. For TV ratings, for Q score, for all of that. So if anything, the logic would be that they would help the Giants out. Like they would want the Cowboys to do well or something. So it is a problem. One of the things I've been saying for years, almost since the day that instant replay started, is that instant replay should not be a reactive tool, but a proactive tool. I would have a a, a member of the the, uh, the official staff up in the booth who has the ability at any moment to signal down, I saw a penalty, I saw... You know, that looked like it was, we need to review that, take it out of the challenge mechanism. Because to me, you know, it needs to be an equal member and have the ability. It can't be something that's used as almost like I'm proving you guys wrong on the field. It has to be done in concert with them. I think if that's the case, you will see, it's kind of like how it's done in college. You know, they all work together because the goal is to make the call right. Not to prove you wrong. And I think you'll see, you know, it's okay if... I I remember in the World Series last year, or the playoffs, whenever it was, 
that the same the second base umpire had three calls overturned and they were they were killing the guy. He got three wrong calls. No. At the end of the day, the right call was made all three times. It was just turned because of replay. And that's how the mentality needs to be. So we have the tools to make the officials a lot better immediately. It's just changing the way we use replay. That is some brilliant insight. I agree you, wholeheartedly. Yes. <laughs> as far as Barkley goes in the second half, um, the decision to not have Barkley on the field in the second half is a, is a hard one to deal with as a fan. Um, personally, I felt that last week Barkley was given a very heavy load for a rookie. Remember now that last week it was 11 weeks into the season, whereas in college he would be where? The tail end? He'd be right where you are now, like rivalry week, last week of the regular season. Exactly. And he had his heaviest load of the season. He ran for the most yards. I, I, I really thought that they, while watching the game last week, that they had perhaps overused him a little bit. I was surprised. Basically, that's sort of in a vacuum. When I watched it, I thought, wow, they're really, really leaning on Barkley a lot in this game. Now, given the game situation, starting the second half, momentum arguably swung on a pick at the very end of the... I, I don't really buy that, but um, after just having, you know... 12 to 13 minutes off in the locker room, it probably wasn't a good time to let him rest if that's what's happening. But when I objectively take a step back and look at what happened, it's kind of hard for me to fault a coach for for giving a rookie running back who has been shouldering 90% of the running back role, probably more, a, a decent percentage of the entire offense all year. You know, I don't think that he really thought the Giants would get the ball so infrequently in general in the second half. Um, when you look at the total number of offensive plays versus the plays that Barkley was there, I mean, they're not all that different for the second half. Uh, I think the, the Giants had the ball like 21 times in the second half or something like that for 21 snaps. And he was on the field for like 10 of them. Um, and I understand that that's 50%, but it's still 10, 10 snaps out of 20. I mean, it's it's not... That's on the field. That's not touches. That's on the field. Yeah, and, and touches, I think he still had more than Gallman. I mean, remember, there were running plays that didn't go anywhere. It, it, okay, so... My my whole thing with why why I said that the Giants can't take their foot off the throat of the Eagles throughout the entire game was simply that the defense wasn't stopping them. They were kind of getting bailed out by penalties, mistakes by the Eagles. They were kind of shooting themselves in the foot, but the defense wasn't stopping shit. That really stopped happening in the second half, and the offense was not able to, you know, get a momentum going. And, you know, when they did, they ended up in field goal range and got a, a pair of field goals. But for the most part, the, the difference between the first half and the second half wasn't Barkley, I don't think. I mean, it's easy to blame it that way, but I really don't think it was. I mean, it, I think it was a story of, you know, the luck ran out. It really, let's, let's face it, this is not a good team. And one of the things that really bothers me about the, 
the argument by fans that you know one of the reasons that we lost the game is because Barkley sat in the second half and and believe me I I'm going to say it again I would probably have not sat him in that situation you know maybe at the end of this game or towards the end of this game after you've built up a lead or something but I think after halftime you come out in the second half you keep Barkley in the field whatever but you can't make the argument that Barkley got only five touches in the second half and also say, why weren't we throwing downfield against a depleted secondary? Because there are fans that are making both of those arguments. Yeah, you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. I yeah. mean, if anything, having Barkley on the field and more touches would open up the pass downfield. You know, you have you have to respect the, 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 the running of Barkley, but you can't say, you know, both of those things. It's not. That's not applicable. It's not yeah. smart. In my opinion, um, you know, do I think it was a mistake to sit Barkley? Then yes. The real reason I think the Giants lost control in the second half was they lost the time of possession, and I think that was more a defensive thing than I think it was an offensive thing. I think the the lucky breaks they were getting in the first half defensively were just not happening. I mean, you could even say that in some certain in some respects, the defense was playing better in the second half. I mean, we started seeing sacks. Um, the pressures were mounting up. But it just they, – they couldn't seem to get off the field. That You know, they were just melting down. Third down conversions were a lot better for Philly in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it was really a time of possession thing that killed the Giants in the second half. I mean, mm-hmm. I think also in the first half, mistakes. I mean – I'm going to slam Eli for that interception. I have no fucking idea what he was looking at when he threw that pass. We've seen that. Of course. His, his entire career that yes. that once a quarter a season of that just, where the fuck are you throwing it? Yeah. You know, usually in the red zone, usually in a critical spot. So, I mean, that's Eli. I mean, yeah. you loved him when he won Super Bowls and he was doing things like that. And, you know. Yeah. It was for is he forcing something? Was you know, did he hear footsteps? Did, uh, we don't we'll never know. Um but that was a that was a changing point in the game right there. Yeah, because they were already in field goal range, they were marching down the field and it that wasn't third down. That that throw did not need to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a huge mistake. The the two-point conversion attempt was a fucking mistake. You know, penalties in this game were out of control for the well, first time this year. Let's, let's go back to that two-point conversion thing again. I mean, we put that right in the same category as going for two when they were down 15 in Atlanta. Just some of these decisions he makes, it just don't seem to have any logic or rhyme or reason relative to other things. Um, you know, I think I can get behind the Atlanta one more because that was a situation where in one of two scores to end the game, they're going to have to go for two eventually. Now, we can argue whether you do it first or second, and that's fine, but you have to do it eventually. In the situation at hand, an opening drive of the game, I don't see why you're doing it at all. I just I don't get it. I, yeah, Again, exactly to your point you made before, this is no offensive line machine with you know a, a guaranteed we're going to pick up the one yard. This has been traditionally a bad red zone offense, which has been awful. We question the play calling all the time in the red zone. So now all of a sudden, I mean, if there was, I know Grump, you have been saying this. We sit together every week at games. You've mentioned it on this show. You say it in Twitter. If you have a very specific play where you run up to the line of scrimmage, you try to catch mm-hmm. them off guard, you know, which is, you know, what a lot of teams do. Some of these hurry up teams, you see it more in college than in the NFL, but 
you know, trickery for a thing and steal two points, go for it. But this offense is the exact opposite of a hurry-up offense. This is a, the clock bleeds down to one all the time. They huddle. They get to the line of scrimmage slowly. Five, four, three. Come on, Eli. Hike. That's not what this offense is. Agreed. It's not wired that way. It's not set up that way. That's not what Eli is. So, I, I you know... Then all of a sudden, then you start playing the numbers game. You start chasing that number. And it also changes everything. You know, it gives Philly an opportunity to go for two earlier in the game. And all of a sudden becomes a two-score game instead of one. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's, again, I don't understand the logic. I don't understand what, you know, is Pat Shermer the super aggressive coach? Does he seem that way on a down-to-down series, a series game-by-game basis? No. It just seems out of random where these super aggressive play calls, which have never been working, by the way. I think his record in head-scratching calls is like over 8 this year. I don't, I don't know. Um, I am going to say, though, I like the philosophy behind Pat Shermer. I think that it's easy to throw him under the bus because when you think about this team in the offense, you're thinking about Pat Shermer. But I think in reality, and I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've said this on the show before, that this rebuild had to happen overnight where you threw everything in the garbage can and started over. You know, it's it's not ideal to start like that. I mean, you, you get, at a certain point you have to scrap everything and start over, but you know that you're not... I think... Yeah, I, 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 I mean, basically what I'm getting at is I think that Pat Shermer this year is handling a lot of the offensive coordinator responsibilities, and that's not the long-term plan for the Pat Shermer head coaching project or whatever you want to call this. So, I, I what, think, you're saying, so what you're saying is basically because he's doing play calling, it's impeding on his ability to be a head coach and make head coaching decisions? Yes. If that's the case, that makes – I can buy that because – but I thought where you were going this when you started was the Pat Shermer offense I have no problem with. I think we're trying to see what he's trying to do. I'm fine with it. Doesn't have the personnel, you know, in the trenches to give Eli. And you can make an argument about that he doesn't have the quarterback to do what ultimately he wants to do. It's a fair argument. Yeah. He's got the skill guys and he's got highlights. He has a Barkley. He has a Beckham. You know, guys like Shepard could be replaceable. Uh, you know, Evan Ingram has disappointed at this point, and everybody else is pretty much replaceable for skill guys. But what we're trying to do on offense, I think we're all on board with. It could be a successful offense. I just think his decision-making has sucked this year and at the wrong time and the wrong decisions. And maybe to your point, if, you know, if he at some point relinquishes um, – play calling which is always the first step down that slide to being fired but you know that's the first thing that always happens maybe he becomes more focused and more cognizant of the big picture of, of coaching a football game yeah I think so but I don't think you know I don't think we're really thinking of of it as relinquishing the play calling duties I think it's more like because Mike Shula was the best available offensive coordinator this year they felt better off keeping the play calling responsibilities with Pat Shermer, or at least Pat Shermer felt that way. 
Um, hypothetically speaking, Norv Turner is suddenly looking for a job next year. The Giants hire him as offensive coordinator. I don't think it's viewed as Pat Shermer relinquishes his play-calling no. duties to Norv Turner. I think ultimately that's sort of what they want. They want an offensive coordinator who has the same philosophy as Pat Shermer with his own identity, his own experience calling plays. You know, that's what they want. That's what they've always wanted. But because they threw everything out and started from scratch, the best they could get was Mike Shula, and they felt they were better off not having him do play calling responsibilities. Yeah, that's that's what I feel like. Relinquishing the play calling usually means you're being ordered to. Yes. And I don't think anybody's ordering, you know, a head coach to fire his offensive coordinator. Not this team. I mean, that we all kind of know what the problem is with this offense, and it's not stale play calling. It's, you know, giving your quarterback and your, and your running backs – time to do what they need to do that's the biggest problem with this team uh, yeah uh, i would think so and, and and that's it so um you're right and i think you know if, if a norv turner or you know some hot shot becomes available maybe somebody from college or something i, I could see that i mean mike shula is we've talked about this on this show ad nauseum that he sucked his entire career and i've been you know, i go back to the 90s where telling you there are people of a certain age in the Tampa Bay area who hate that guy. You know, he was, you know, he embodied the, um, uh, Tony Dungy, no offense teams, wasting great defenses for Tampa Bay. Um, it's amazing that 20 years later, he has the exact same job in the NFL. Hmm. So, but that's a different argument than what I'm saying about his decision-making. I, I understand. Yeah. And I understand there. that. And I think that some of the decision-making, I you know I think a lot of things come off of that. I think maybe the going for two in the beginning was, you know, this defense isn't stopping shit the last five weeks. They're not mm-hmm. putting much pressure. You know, I maybe he thought that you know what we just put the pedal to metal right away. We score, we go for two. You know, whatever, get as many points as we can every time we score. You know, and let's clear one thing up too, Grump. Yeah. There is no such thing as, well, we're three and seven. What do we have to lose? Hmm. That there is not one person in the NFL, college, high school, peewee, QB one, that coaches with that mentality. When they were when they scored and went for two, they were thinking we can make the playoffs. They were not thinking. We are three and seven. What do we have to lose? So get that thought out of your mind. Nobody coaches like that. I won't um, necessarily say that they were thinking we can make the playoffs so much as it was a game-by-game, game, we're trying to win the game decision. That's what I mean. I mean, they were, they were trying to win the game, not to say, why not? Let's entertain the fans. It's we still think we can make the playoffs, like a, a very serious tone to why they wanted to win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So – Stop with this bullshit of well, it might as well. What do we have to lose? This isn't a bowl game, you know. This isn't a meaningless, you know. This isn't your buddies after Thanksgiving dinner playing, uh, you know, flag football in the backyard. These guys are all coaching and playing for their jobs and their careers. Mm-hmm. They're not fucking around because we'll be entertaining for you. 
I kind of want to jump to a positive here. Um, you know, we have said last week, uh, cool it with the playoff talk. <laughs> I, I, I know that it's two wins, but let's remember that it's San Francisco, Tampa Bay. You know, I do want to say that we were going to look at the rest of this season in the let's compare it to where we were at the beginning of the year, where we were last year. I thought that for the most part, this team played night and day difference against the Eagles than when they played them on Thursday night earlier in the year. Agreed. I mean, that game, when I think back to that game, I remember three things. Um, the Eagles had no answer for Saquon Barkley, even in that game. Uh, it was really wet and I wanted to go home. <laughs> and I was getting nausea from watching Eli Manning get pummeled into the ground every single play. Yeah. And what I saw, although this is a bad team still, was totally different. They still had no answer for Barkley, so that means Jim Schwartz, in his actual, you know, march back into the NFC East, you know, division title conversation, they're really trying for a playoff push in Philly. Believe me, well, uh, you know, he still couldn't figure it out. They they still could not find an answer for Saquon Barkley, not a real one anyway. Maybe a play here and there, but that's gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, um, show me a running back who legitimately averages. Nine and a half yards a carry every single carry. That's yeah. not the way it works. Yeah. Um, you know, Eli got sacked like maybe one, two times. He was pressured a few times, but it was a completely different story versus, you know, what I saw in, in MetLife weeks and weeks ago. Um, and, you know, I know I'm sitting here telling you that they got bailed out a little bit, and, you know, some of that's true, and, you know, we can talk about how depleted the secondary was, but... The main thing was the pass rush was mostly under control, um, you know, and and that is probably the most enviable part of that Eagles team is you know forget the quarterback I'm not the biggest Wentz fan ever, uh, but that defensive line is formidable, and we're mostly held in check. I mean, it was it was certainly not overbalanced in the favor of the Eagles at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and to me, that was the hugest positive. There was a running game. There was time for Eli to go through progressions, passes going downfield, the polar opposite of what we saw earlier in the year. That was the biggest you know, positive I could draw from that game. And listen, the Eagles are not the team that went on the, the run in January and won the Super Bowl. They also are not the Arizona Cardinals. Yes. I mean, they still are a team that, could win this division very sure. easily. They still have, which I believe we still agree, is the best quarterback in the division. Yes. We believe they probably have the best defensive line in the division. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah. Washington the gives them a, a run for their money, but yeah. But definitely in the upper tier of it. Yeah. The secondary's got problems, and we both are not the biggest Peterson fans as a coach. We think he's a buffoon. <laughs> yes. But – they are still a dangerous team, and you're right. We we played with them in their house. 
Yes, and th- so I mean that's that's a huge some, thing. There is there are improvements. I think it's safe to say, in the last three weeks, which is a a sample size of almost a quarter of the season, they are not one of the worst teams in the league anymore. Yeah, I, I would agree. With I that. think we all, we all thought that after week two, after week four, after week six. I think we you know we beat two of the five worst teams in the league. We competed with a team that's still kind of dangerous. Does that mean we're a playoff team? No. Does it mean we're underachieving? No. There's a lot of work to still be, a, a ton of work to be done on this team. But if you really want to evaluate what Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman have done to this point, and the coaching staff too, it's important, you know, offensive line coach, you know, all these different things. This team is making baby steps. Nobody has the patience for that, but it's kind of the fact. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no fun in talking to your coworkers about, <clears throat> you know, the amount of times Eli got pressured or hurried or whatever versus the last time. And so, yeah, it's it's not very entertaining and it's draining to find that glimmer of hope. But if you want to be a fan and you want to watch each game, you know, you're going to kill yourself thinking every every week that they're – there's a shot for the playoffs. I mean, the, the reality is what it is. This is a yeah. bad team that, after completely overhauling their roster, I think are headed in a better direction than they were last year. I am I am more confident in Pat Shermer's vision of this team. You know, maybe him as a head coach still on the table, but his philosophy of what makes a winning offense, I am more confident in than Ben McAdoo's right from the beginning. Um well, the problem with Ben McAdoo is we there was no vision. Yes, <laughs> there really was not at all. So, this is you're right. There's something here. Mm-hmm. How well he can execute his vision is definitely in doubt, and he's and, gonna have to prove it. And you know what? I'll say something else. I like what Gettleman's done so far. I mean, you can bitch and moan about the Jonathan Stewart contract, or you know maybe not doing enough to get Andrew Norwell or whatever you want to bitch about, go ahead and you bitch about. But here's here's what I'm going to say. I uh, I love this draft class. I think they're all contributing a lot. I mean, you know, again, we can argue about Barkley or Darnold or Rosen, but Barkley has been a home run, you know. Sure. You and can't, also that, you can't that complain about it. over. Him. I mean, this is what we have now. Yeah. Do you want to, we're evaluating the draft class on what the draft class is. Because you know something, you can evaluate every single draft class on what if. Yeah. You know, I mean, every draft class in in 1999 was a failure because nobody drafted Tom Brady for six rounds. Yeah. You can do that. You, you could do that that game. It's what do we have right now? And we, you know, one of the things I did want to kind of mention to you, Grump, I wasn't sure where to slot this in, but maybe now's a good time. We are not going to be one of the five, uh, the first five draft picks. We're probably going to draft somewhere between six to eight, probably closer to six, maybe. What do you think the mindset is in the building about you know the eventual quarterback decision? Do you think you do you still think that you know it's not a? I don't think it's a slam dunk they're going to draft quarterback anymore. I mean, do you think that uh, you know a trade up is possible or they? try to address it next year or they try to go free agent or trade. What do you think 
they may be leaning more likely now than they would have, let's say, three weeks ago before they started, you know, before they beat um, San Francisco. Look, I, I mean, I haven't really done my homework, but, you, you know, you, you're sort of tying into what I was saying. Um, you know, the draft last year, I think we hit a, not a home run on every shot, but all those guys are contributing. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that Gettleman's done has moved on from talent, replaced them, and acquired something in return. Uh, you know, even losing guys like Justin Pugh have yielded draft picks. Uh, compensatory, and one other, and one, but... And one other thing he's added, to add to what he's done as well, he's opening up future cap space. Exactly. Which is, which is just as important as acquiring talent. Yeah, I mean, you have a guy like JPP who's no longer a scheme fit for his price tag, and... Not only do you get his gigantic cap hit off the books for next year, you get a draft pick. Um, so, you know, next year, I agree, I think we're picking probably between the 5 to 8 range, somewhere in there. I'm thinking they're going to end up somewhere around 7. Uh, I I don't know. I haven't done enough of my own homework on Greer, Locke, Herbert. Um, you know, all these names you hear floating around or even the Duke guy, Dan- Daniel Jones. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, let me reframe the question a little differently then. Do you think that based on Gettleman's track record as a guy that would trade up to get a guy they really wanted or be more likely to either get like a a proven guy somehow in you know free agency that's not super expensive, like a Case Keenum type of guy, or just out and out trade for somebody. I think that I don't know based on his track record. He's never really in the past been in a situation to need to acquire a quarterback except for last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he has done is position this organization well to be flexible. The okay. amount of draft picks that he's acquired is allowing him – to let's say he want he I think we have two round twos this year. That right there can be packaged up and delivered to move up and get a quarterback with your number one. And with all the fours and bullshit at the end, you could trade those to move back into the second round and you know and not totally lose out on the draft. Do you know what I'm saying? I think also those draft picks can be packaged up in trades for guys that are currently under contract. Like I mean, I don't know Derek Carr's situation, nor would I really want Derek Carr, but, you know... Derek Carr equivalent. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure. Uh, Sam Bradford, even. I I, I don't know, but they could be, you know, packaged up in a trade for guys still under contract. You know, they have money off the books with the Jason Pierre-Paul trade to perhaps sign a free agent quarterback as a stopgap and wait another year. I don't know, but he is in now a position where he can move in four directions or you're three leading directions. Me now, you're leading me on to my next question for you, looking into the Grumps crystal ball. Do you think the next quarterback they try to get will be an attempt to get a franchise quarterback? Or do you think that they would try to go in the direction of like a Kerry Collins, for example? I don't know. Because there is a scenario in which they don't get a quarterback at all next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then you're talking about the next quarterback they acquire very well could be a franchise quarterback who is not part of this year's draft or free agency pool. So I, I, I don't know. 
Let's um, remember something, Grump. Something very, very important. The master plan is that Eli Manning, they believe, still has two to three years left of serviceable ability that they can build around him. And you know something? Their evaluation might be that you know, we're seeing a little better offensive line. We're seeing what Barkley's been able to do, that they are going to stick to that plan. Don't count that out. That, you know, maybe three weeks ago, no chance at Eli. They either, he's either going to retire or they're going to cut him or buy him out or whatever. I think it's looking more and more likely he's going to be your quarterback next year with the future not yet on the roster. I would think that that at this time, you know, November, whatever, what is it, 26th? Mm-hmm. I think that that is the most likely scenario. Based on what I've watched, I don't think that Herbert has shown me that he is worth trading up for where they are now, nor has Locke or anyone else. Again, there's still time, but today, I don't think I've seen enough to warrant trading up in the first round to get him. I don't think that there's anyone in the free agency pool that's worth spending the money that's going to bridge the gap longer than Eli would himself. And um, I certainly don't think the answer is Kyle Aletta. So, they're, and I don't think they're going to give Eli the gate for a Kerry Collins type of glorified stopgap. Of course, you know some of Eli's fate is in his own hands, though. That's true. Um, but I also think Eli Manning is a company guy, and I'm sure he will keep them very abreast of what his plans are. So there's no, you know. Uh, uh, March surprise or anything that oh I'm leaving and it changes everything. True, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, in any case, um, that pretty much wraps up our review episode of Week 12 at the Philadelphia Eagles. We will return at the end of this week, Friday morning, directly to you via iTunes and SoundCloud, Just Giants for a preview game of the Giants hosting the Chicago Bears, right? Yeah, another great segue, by the way. Yeah. Jeez, you are on. Um, well, yeah, so <laughs> that, that'll that be a shit show. We can go through that point by point <laughs> for you Friday morning on your commute to work. Um, but this might, this might be the game that Eli dies. Yeah, it could be. But you know what? I feel a little bit better about it than I would have about 60, six weeks ago. So. Yeah. Well, I still think he's going to die, but maybe it'll be in the third quarter. So, hmm. um, But yeah, please follow the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just Giants, please give us a five-star rating, a good review. Tell your friends, you know, link to us on social media whenever you can. And speaking of social media, I am on there at football underscore grump where I can address things a little bit more specifically, expound upon them, interact with you, etc. You can catch me as always on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. Um, you get the Happy Fan and the Cranky Fan this week after my Gators beat Florida State and after obviously losing to the Eagles. Um, as Grump said, please give us a five star rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more giant fans we can interact with. So, and we really appreciate that. We get a lot of a lot of people we love talking to throughout the week. We try to talk people off the ledge sometimes you people talk me off the ledge it's 
all good. So let's keep it coming. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants.